0: Welcome to the ACO Show. Today, you'll hear Dr. Josh Israel, a medical director at Allidade, speak with Dr. Josh Lowentritt. Dr. Lowentritt is the CEO and medical director of Louisiana Physicians Accountable Care Organization in New Orleans, and he has great experience to share about starting and running an ACO, the role of specialists in an ACO, the importance of seeing patients in the office after they've had a hospitalization, and what mindfulness has brought to his own medical work.
1: Enjoy.
0: We are joined today by Dr. Josh Lowentritt, Dr. Lowentritt is the CEO and medical director of Louisiana Physicians Accountable Care Organizations. Thanks for joining us. Great, thanks so much for having me today. And how did you first come to be involved with accountable care organizations?
1: So around seven years ago, my medical group, we have a multi-specialty group here in New Orleans, we started seeing that stuff was about to happen. The MSSP program was just kind of being turned on and we knew we needed to do something so we didn't get left behind. And so fortunately, my, my other owners in the group just told me, hey, Josh, just go out and start talking to people. So I started talking to folks in the city, in private practice, just trying to see what we could do. Uh, could, do we need to pull together an IPA? You know, what, what were we able to do so we could join on this? Um, we, we initially talked to our hospital, and our hospital just, they, they really weren't ready yet. Um, they sort one of one of the gentlemen who was near in retirement just sort of didn't believe it was going to happen. Um, so we knew we had to go out and do something on our own. Um, and and uh, I guess in the summer of thirteen, we were contacted by um, a consulting group that helped put together uh, independent practice ACOs.
0: Now you you and, say this like you were seeing something obvious and inevitable, but it obviously isn't because a lot of other providers were not seeing the same thing. What were you seeing that made you think this was coming and you needed to get on board? So you, you
1: could begin to see it with some of the programming from CMS. Um, our group had participated in a quality uh, consortium effort sponsored by Blue Cross called the COSEC trial, C-O-S-E-C-H, uh, that was focused in on diabetes and hypertension control in, in defined population. So we had already spent a year and a half doing this kind of work and we could see that, you know, this is where things are going. Um, and so that was 2012, 2013. That was, that was before Allidade, um, began as a company, but it was around the time that the founders of Allidade were were doing the, the same thought work really. Um, and, and so my, fortunately, again, my, my, my owners and my group said, Josh, just go out and start talking to people. Um, and so uh we slowly pulled together a sufficient number of providers uh in parts of Louisiana to meet the five thousand patient threshold. Um and it was you know like cobbling together um um you know a, a bunch of you know willing, leading uh independent practices in the state who again were, were way ahead thinking uh, about this. Um, and and some of them even said, you know, I was trying to do something like this, but I knew I didn't have enough people with me. I didn't have enough beneficiaries. I didn't have enough expertise. And so we really pulled together some really brave, um, talented, um, forward-thinking, independent physicians.
0: But now you are in a different ACO with Alidaid, so it seems like something might have gone amiss.
1: Right. So um, so we spent the first five years with our initial consultant. And we weren't getting to where we wanted to be. Um and so uh about, about a year ago um my my other you know officers in in the ACO wanted us to go out and see what we could do differently. And that's when we reached out to Alidaid. Um rather fortuitously, um one of Alidaid's um directors um uh lives about half a mile from me and we actually go the same same coffee shop occasionally. And so we had started having breakfast uh, at the end of 17, early 18. Um, and Blaine Lindsay and I, we, we just started to get to know each other. And he would tell me about what he was doing in the Louisiana, Mississippi markets. And I would tell him what we were doing. And when it came time for us to, as an organization, to um, think about another consultant, I naturally just, I, I called up Blaine. I said, look, I'm going to be in DC. I want to meet your people.
0: Okay, and
1: how's it going so far? Well, we're really thrilled with it. Um, you know, we had spent four and a half, five years with a previous consultant not getting a technology platform. Well, Alladata is on a ninety-day a ninety-day uh, implementation, so we're going to get the technology platform we need. Um, we also had problems with um, really the dedication and um, quality and. Commitments from the staffing that had been, you know, provided for us in in Louisiana, and what we're seeing from Alladee is just blowing us away. Um, these are really committed folks. the the practice transformation specialists, the operations folks. Um, they 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 have such a humble way of approaching our practices and I, I just can't get over when I'm speaking to one of the operations uh, folks here in, in state. And she just says, you thank you so much. You guys are doing so much. You're, you're working so hard. And I cannot tell you how gratifying it is just to be appreciated by the consultants mm-hmm. um, who just, who, who just give us encouragement are are taking us where we are. Some, you know, in some places we're very good. In some places we need a lot of help. Um, it's a really it's a great attitude. It's so it's uh, refreshing. It's um, all of the other groups in the organization across the state are, are really also, you know, they're they're telling me that these are the top, these
0: are really good folks with Allidate. It's nice to hear that, you know, we, we it's a good reminder, too. We all like a little appreciation still. Right. I mean, these are
1: hardworking doctors and administrators and everyone feels like they're out there like Sisyphus rolling on the rock up the hill every day. Um it's really a nice um nice change and, and clearly the folks that who that Alliday brings into its organization have that commitment to helping people. Um
0: and it really shows. And what was the data that you felt like you were missing? You know, what what kind of data will be meaningful to you?
1: So, um like uh like 2 3 years ago, we were trying to get just a I I like to think of it as the the high-priority attribution lists. So what I wanted and and what we could slowly pull out of my my previous consultant was a list that we we pulled out our top six or seven conditions, and we wanted those to be scored and ranked, and therefore for every clinic and for every provider in the clinic to have their attributed patients be ranked by priority so that we could then more efficiently get them in for annual wellness visits, uh, who to select for chronic care management, who to engage, you know, with outside with phone calls and patient engagement strategies, um, and it was pulling teeth. I could not get that. Now suddenly, you know, this year I turn on the Alladept app and there's my list, and it's it's already been ranked by a similar um, analytic. And so that that's really. Um, I mean, that's exactly what we've been needing. Um, what I'm really enjoying is that Aladate is looking at this uh, the way you would run a business. How do we get to the high-priority items? When you run a business, you can't deal with every single problem every single day, but you do prioritize. And Allidate sets up these lists and, and analytics in a way to tell us, these are the high-priority patients we need to get you in for a variety of reasons. These are the patients who it's most important for us to see within seven days of a hospital visit. And that's very important when helping our clinics and our, you know, ground level staffing prioritize what to do, because everybody has limited staffing. Everybody has limited time. Um, I think that's probably the greatest value I'm seeing.
0: So the data is pointing you towards some high priority patients who, who would likely most benefit from care. Um, before you even had the data, what was your intuition? What was your sense about what in the system can be improved so that costs are reduced without lowering the quality of care patients received? Did you have sort of a thesis going in? Yep. Yeah, so um, we knew from
1: our initial couple years of data analyses that we were, um, we're our, our home health spend was high. Our post-acute care spend was high. Um, we were above the national average on ambulatory sensitive condition admissions and COPD and heart failure, um, and so we were able to start to break some of those down. So, so the data did drive us to to focus in on certain disease states and certain problems. The main one being readmissions. Um, when we started the ACO, AWVs had just come out, TCMs were just had just come out, and our after our first year in the organization. Uh, And so we saw that as a tremendous opportunity to drive revenue um, for the clinician's offices and as well to try and reduce readmissions. And so one of our our major focuses in years two and three was getting the TCM process right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was critical.
0: Yeah, we certainly agree with that up here that the TCM is actually a great opportunity, it just as you say, revenue for the practices and a, a real opportunity to intervene before people get readmitted. Was that a hard thing to implement? Getting getting providers to make that shift to take those things more more front of mind. Um, yeah, because any, anything
1: useful to do that's that's operational requires a lot of people um, understanding what the understanding the process, figuring out the. All the different barriers and, and f- figuring out how to actually do it. So in our clinic, we have one staff member. We have Barbie York, and every clinic needs Barbie York. But you can't. But but you can't have mine. Mm-hmm. And she, All she does every day is call patients. She calls patients who have left the hospital. We have a group of 20 providers, so we have a fair number of discharges every day. And she looks at our hospital census, goes off the list, and she calls those patients, prints out all the hospital materials, goes over their medications, to answer their questions. And, you know, Barbie had done, she's done almost every role in the office. She'd been a medical assistant, a check-in person. She'd been in insurance verification. But the most important thing is she's just a really super sweet, talented, caring um, person. And that that is the difference, Um
0: well, I think the difference could also be you know who she is and she's part of your practice. You know, we we have had some providers who will hire somebody to do care management, but they're just off in a cubicle in another building, and the information doesn't flow both ways. It sounds like you made this person a part of your practice, so you you are aware of the changes, and she can make you aware of what needs happening.
1: Yep. So uh, our Barbie and the Barbies and our other practices that are doing the same thing are typically um, experienced employees who are being reassigned to a role um, and they're taking it on. And, you know, I I would I, I went around on a board phone call last year and I just asked people, what's the standard for getting patients back to clinic? And the standard was seven days, that period, you know, and, and Getting that, getting that done, you know, was a tremendous challenge. But we, we managed to get TCM rates for the clinics ranging from about 35% to we have one one clinician up to 67%. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and the and the ACO as a whole was at about 40% by, by last year. So we really made it an effort, and we know it's been appreciated by the patients. And it, it's very helpful when the clinician walks in. You know, there's a packet of materials. The patient is showing up you know what you already know what they're having trouble with is it medications transportation is it
0: that they're sick again you know it's really helpful let's talk a little bit about specialty care but what about the challenge of the tension that's inherent with specialists where the you know the the bread is buttered based on specialty care specialty procedures rather than value based outcomes you know how do you square that in an accountable care organization
1: well, it's really challenging because as a specialist you're you know you, you have you know you're dealing with the differential diagnosis way down the list, and there's also a, a, quite a bit of of legal risk um if if you're not it, to get to a level of thoroughness and communication with family. so you have that as part of your specialty training as on the primary care side is you really kind of know what's going on with the patient and you just need your specialist to just get the details right. Um, get me a plan of care and, you know, try not to run all the tests, just run the ones you need. So there's definitely a tension in value-based care of how you, how do specialists and primary care doctors get along? Um, And then you have the issue of income, you know, specialists are mostly, it's all fee for service. Mm -hmm. Um, And they really don't have a lot of capitated income. You go to primary care and you may have capitated contracts, you may have CPC plus, and it, it it allows you some ability to change the way you practice medicine. And so there's definitely a tension, and I'm not sure how well all specialists fit into accountable care. I think it's going to be up to our primary care physicians uh to really lead lead the specialists and tell them what we want and what we need. Um and I think so I think that's where there's going to be a lot of efforts um you know what I consider this now second generation um, value based care. Now that we have sort of got through the first six seven years of the MSSP, you know, is how do we get how do we get the specialists to to play along?
0: Have you had success integrating other specialties into your ACO? Well, we have um, a
1: number of specialties in my personal group, and then there's another multi specialty group in our organization. And you know, I think endocrinology fits great. I think, cardio, I think non-invasive cardiology, office-based cardiology, that fits great. Um, there's, um, But in general, I really think that the magic is what primary care doctors can do in their clinics. And, you know, me, I'm a nephrologist doing primary care. I consider myself in that number. Um, what can we do to to wrap ourselves around the patients? As I like to, you know, when, I, when we have my meetings, I like to say, we are all talented at taking care of people within our four walls. How do we take care of people on the outside of the walls? How do we take care of the people between visits? Um, That's really where the magic is. That's where you really provide the care people need.
0: And have you seen success stories as a result of this?
1: Yeah, we see, I mean, our our readmission rates have come down. Um, Our diabetes control, um our A one C's uh less than nine are down in the low teens, ten to twelve percent. Um we we in our year two of our program, just, just initiating some of these things, we got within forty forty two thousand dollars of a of a shared savings. Um uh it was a very that was very disappointing as um as you can imagine. Um but we, we began we, we really have seen the, the patients really Really like the care they're getting. Um, our MIP score, our cap scores have been very high. We got a 96 on our MIP score for 2017. Um, that that you know everyone became eligible for a 1.7% update on their Medicare uh, rate. So that was that was a big win. Um, so we've had patient wins, and I think I think you really as a network you've got to have wins for your for your clinics, for your members. Um, um, I'd be glad to talk about some of those wins, because um, I think that's been really important for us. Sure, I'd love to hear it. So um, we, you know, again, uh, now that we have Allidate, we have access to more commercial contracting, but we, we we started our Blue Cross program two years ago, and we were able to trigger a distribution. And so last January, I wrote checks from we went from 19 to 190,000 dollars to our different clinics which was amazing we two of our major clinics are now enrolled in CPC plus um that is a huge win it's it's just allowing them to develop the resources to um help take care of the patients outside their four walls um, we've um we had great doing well with our mips and again we qualified for um an, an increase in our Medicare rates, which was really nice. Those are some of the things that really kind of helped our organization together. When without getting an MSSP distribution, um, we've also we're really excited to have, to have a joint venture with a home health agency. Um, we we had uh, in in our, across our ACO we have tremendously high utilization rates, recertification rates, and we also had an. Quite a number of, of fraudulent home health companies in the region that were artificially inflating our costs. Um, so we decided several years ago that one of our goals was going to be to develop a home health joint venture, uh, taking advantage of the waivers inherent in the MSSP program, and then allowing us to start consolidating some of our post-acute care work with, down to you know fewer agencies, and ultimately try and get you know a reasonable percent of our discharges. And outpatients uh, through an agency that we actually have control over. Um, we are thrilled that we're rolling that out. It's rolling out this quarter, um, so we're really excited about that. We also are going to ro- are going to bring in an inf- an outpatient home infusion company as a partner to that as well, so that we'll be able to integrate some of the post-acute care um, pieces. And that's that's been a l- um, I've had a lot of fun with that. It's been really exciting. Um, and we're excited for the ability to really get accountability
0: on some of these areas that you know, are, are very hard to c- control the costs. I understand that in addition to building organizations and managing data, you are bringing mindfulness into your medical work. Uh, where, how did you come to that? Well, that, I, I'm so glad you asked. Um, I, I was very
1: fortunate two years ago to be invited to a mindful medicine program that, that a friend of mine has put puts together, and he takes a group of physicians, social workers, over to Dharamshala, India, for about ten days. Um, and they have connections through the Louisiana Himalaya Association. There's a social worker from Louisiana. They call him the the Cajun Buddhist, um, Neil Gidry, and and he has been taking trips, bringing folks from Tulane and from the the area. Uh, to Dharamshala, and of course, that is where the Dalai Lama is, and that is where the Tibetan exile community is headquartered. And he has access to 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 really the, the top lamas uh, for for lectures. And so, we went on this amazing
0: trip. We get to New Delhi. It's good if you're going to see the lamas, you want to see the top lamas.
1: Oh, absolutely. So we um, <laughs> so. Um, we had uh, a four-day conference with the traditional Tibetan-trained physicians, as well as some of the Tibetans who had been trained in the in the allopathic medical schools, usually in India, but you know some of them have had fellowships in the UK or the US. And we also had these amazing lectures on mindfulness meditation, um, uh, from the, really the, the the leading Buddhist uh, Tibetan Buddhist scholars and it was an incredible conference um, and you know for me personally you know i'm about halfway through my career i'm about 18 years in i've got 18 20 years to go if i'm you know if it all works out well and for me it was so refreshing to learn some of the, the to learn how to, to think differently about taking care of patients to really figure out where they where patients are in their own heads figure out what can you do to get them to a place where they can access health care better and manage themselves in a uh, uh, more holistically um, and so i've spent the last year and a half back in practice in new orleans applying that to my to my local patients um and um, and it's been really uh, fascinating to see the response because i've got you know i, I decorate my exam rooms one of them, of course, is New Orleans Saints. Uh, one of them is now, it's the Tibetan room. I've got prayer flags. I've got the Dalai Lama. I've got certain books there. And my patients will look up at me and, and they'll, they'll wonder, what. now they already know, but they were wondering, you know, where'd you get this? Um, and the way it has impacted t- taking care of individual patients has been when we start talking about a medical problem, we get to a block and we... Like um, yesterday, I was I'm taking care of a nurse who is suddenly needing to get a breast mass taken out, and she just keeps like laughing and laughing and 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 trying to just you know be very distracting. And I finally said, I said, I said, Pat, it's really okay. You 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 know you may have breast cancer or you may have nothing, um, and you know. You can cry about this. This is stressful. Um, and if you don't think about it and and you don't actively manage your feelings on this, when you go to your kid's graduation next week, you're going to be focused on breast cancer. You're going to miss their graduation, even though you might be there. And if you go to jazz festival next weekend, you're not going to hear the trumpeter hit the perfect note because you're going to be so anxious about your breast cancer workup said where I mean, being in denial right now is not helping you, and you're actually going to miss the things that you actually feel that are important in your life um, and 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 that's just one example what I've found in talking to my patients is that the ones that are having a lot of trouble with their medical care have been have have had terrible things happen to them they have victims of abuse physical abuse sexual abuse they've they come from broken homes. they have tr- very high rates of functional illiteracy uh They don't have stable home situations. When we talk about social determinants of care, you know this is what they are, and I'm seeing that in my clinic and having access to some of these techniques through mindfulness and learning from these uh, top llamas really allows me to to be able to talk to patients about these where you just wouldn't, we're not trained to do that as physicians. We're not trained to dig in that deep. We're told, oh, that's the social worker. Mm -hmm. But we as physicians can have such a powerful role. If you're the one physician and it's the first time a patient will admit to you their abuse, wow, suddenly you can take care of them. People that are abused have got such a loss of ego, such a loss of self-esteem that their capacity for self-care for taking care of their complex diseases is so low. Well, of course, their A1Cs are greater than nine, And of course they can't keep up with their refills because every day, whether they're 55, 35, 75, they're a six-year-old being locked in a the closet. They're a 14-year-old whose mother's friends are molesting them. I mean, these people have had really terrible, terrible traumas. And if we as clinicians can open and just get a crack into that door and the patient can then you can then direct them to therapy you can then mm-hmm. sometimes get them on medications but mostly it's a therapeutic relationship with the physician that can have such an impact and I, I'm seeing it now very regularly in my clinic um, and so powerful I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to have attended that program and to be able to bring it back um, to talk to my patients and I'm also slowly working on bringing this up. Um, during some of my uh, monthly board director phone calls and clinic phone calls with my, across the ACO, I'm, I'm starting to, to add some of this in. Uh, one of the big themes was, um, does mindfulness as a physician help you handle stress of burnout? Yes, it really does. It's really, it doesn't burn you out or stress you out to talk about patients and find out what's really going on. Because that's actually how you help them.
0: All right, Dr. Laundret. Thanks so much. This has been really educational for me. I really enjoyed hearing about your experiences. Well, Josh, thanks so much
1: for having me on the show today. I'm uh, tremendously excited at the opportunities we have uh, working with Allidaid to bring enhanced care to our patients, our beneficiaries, to grow care, to grow insurance contracts, and to bring these to our clinics out there that are really struggling every day to, to, to
0: do the right thing. Thank you so much. Great. I wish you very well, though. I'm from Boston. I can't say the same about the Saints. I don't necessarily wish them well. (laughs) Take care. Thanks again. Okay, bye-bye.